Well, our next reading is uh, from Acts chapter 3, um, 1 to 10. You can find it on page 1098 in the Church Bibles. And uh, the service sheet has a little outline of where we're going to be going. Let me pray for us as we turn to God's Word. Loving Father, we need to be filled with your Spirit if we are to hear from you this morning. Uh, May we be uh, greater conforms to the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, through what we see in your Word. Lord, point us uh, to that great and wonderful true healing that we have at the hand of Christ. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So Acts uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 1, going to verse 10, page 1098. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom uh, they daily, they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Well, do keep that open uh, in front of you. The question I don't want us to have a think about this morning is how do we actually deal with suffering and hardship? Because our world can be an awful place at times, full of so much wrong, so much pain, so much difficulty, so much hardship. We could be sat here this morning going through the very worst suffering that we've ever been through, experiencing the most terrible pain we've ever experienced. Perhaps walking into church here this morning was the most difficult thing that you uh, could possibly have fathomed doing when you woke up this morning. Unimaginably tough because of what you are going through right now. Maybe friends or family are ill. Maybe this week has been the week where you were made redundant and you're not sure what to do next. Perhaps tragedy has struck in the worst set of circumstances you can imagine. It can feel like a marathon suffering, can't it? Like a never-ending, year-after-year difficulty. This was the case for the lame man in our story this morning at the beautiful gate. From birth, from his mother's womb, he was unable to walk, which in those days meant unable to work. And here we see a sign today and what it points to. The sign and what it points to. This man had to be carried every single day 
by his friends, family. They took him up to the temple gates, all the way up the hill, and he would sit asking for arms, for money, that he might survive another day. He's more than 40 years old, we learn from, from chapter 4, 22. More than 40 years carried up, begging for money. Everyone walking past, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And then one day, along come Peter and John. They are going up to the temple, and the lame man, as was his practice, says, can you give me any money? Can you spare anything for me? And Peter, verse 4, turns to him, looks at him, and they stop. They see him. And what does Peter say? He says, look at us. Now, maybe this man was so meek, so downtrodden, that his usual practice wasn't even to look people in the eye as he asked them for, them for money, just simply hunched over, waiting, asking, begging. He looks up. Peter, what does he say to him? I have no silver and gold. It's almost like a cruel disappointment, being told to look up at the man that you're hoping to receive something from and being told, I have nothing. Why would you disappoint me like that? Maybe says the the lame man. But Peter doesn't stop there. What I do have, I give to you. Food? Sandwich? Clothes? New cloak? No. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. So he grabs the man by the right hand, raised him up, and his feet and his ankles are made strong. Notice it says, immediately made strong. Truly, this is a miraculous healing. Verse 8, and leaping up, he stood up and he began to walk. He goes into the temple, walking and praising God. Now, all the people who've been passing him every single day uh, for years and years and years, well, they're already in the temple. Maybe they hear a commotion behind them, this loud voice crying praises to God. And they think, hang on, that's a familiar voice. But isn't that the voice of the, the layman who just asks for arms, for money, always at the gate? What's he doing in, in the temple? What's he doing praising God? We recognize him. We do a double take. He's here on his feet, praising. More than that, he's leaping. And verse 10, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what has happened to him. This would have been the very first time this man had ever crossed into the threshold of the temple, ever actually gone in. Lame people were not allowed into the temple. He'd only ever gone as far as the gate. And now he's healed, walking in, leaping in from outside the gate to inside the temple, from begging to praising. A wonder has happened here. Now, that is not totally unexpected. If you've been with us in previous weeks in the book of Acts, you might remember that uh, looking back at, at chapter 2, 43, it's just over the page, uh, you can see it. Uh, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Many wonders and signs. This is one 
of those signs. But what is the point in a sign? It's not that we would simply gaze at the sign in amazement, but we would follow to what it points to, be drawn to what it points to. And we see a few things about this sign today. We see that it points to us. We see that it points to Jesus. And we see that it points to the future. So how does this sign point to ourselves? How does the sign point to us? Well, here we see that there is often another layer of uh, what is going on in the Bible. It can be tempting sometimes to uh, read ourselves into the Bible. I don't know if you've ever heard someone do that or if you've done it yourself. Uh, We look at scripture, we read about maybe a heroic story, and we think, I would love to be one of those heroes. And we read ourselves into the Bible. Uh, That, though, sort of distorts our perception of God and of ourselves. It's far more accurate if we're going to be anyone in the Bible then we should be this lame man. Because it's far more accurate, rather than being the hero, we're the helpless. And this sign tells us that is true. Look again at this man's condition. Verse 2, a man lame from birth, spiritually speaking, we, every single one of us here, is in the same condition as this man. Spiritually, lame from birth. It's quite a shocking thing to hear, isn't it? But, you see, we are born with a sinful nature, and we inherited it from Adam. Paul talks about it in Romans 5. He says, sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and this way death came to all people. Every one of us, therefore, affected by Adam's sin. There's no exceptions. He says, one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. We're all sinners. And we all share in that same condemnation because we're all children of Adam. Being human is to be sinful in our natural state. Now, whenever we say this, there is often a thought that goes something like, well, surely not not children, though. You can't be born sinful in that way. It's got to be the world that corrupts them and people and, and that sort of thing. The answer, of course, to that is, have you ever met a child? Sinful. No one teaches them to snatch. No one teaches them to lie. No one teaches them to wrong others. And scripture says the same in Psalm 51. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Or Psalm 58. Even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they're wayward spreading lies. Now, an example of this. My niece and nephew are twins. Which means that from a very, very earliest of ages... They uh, were told to share. One of their earliest words was, in fact, share, because they had to share things. Which, for a a while, it just resulted in them snatching from one another whilst shouting, share, share. (laughs) No one taught them to do that. In fact, they were actively being taught to do the opposite. From our mother's womb, we're sinful. We don't need to be taught how to sin. We're unable to please God. And it's why, fundamentally, Christianity isn't a religion of following rigorous rules in order to be right with God. Because no matter how hard we follow them, no matter how well we do, we cannot get to God's standard of holiness. It is too high. Our very nature means we fail to live up to his standards. 
It means that we don't perfectly love others as we should. It means that we don't perfectly love God as we should. And fundamentally, because of our fallen nature, we so often don't even want to love others. We just so often don't even want to love God. We prefer to live life on our own terms, in our own way. And this is a big problem for us. As the lame man was unable to go into the temple to worship, so we too, in our sinful nature, we're unable to worship God. We're completely cast out of God's presence, unable to worship him as we ought. So the the problem with this is that well, while we're here on earth, we may think, well, well, what's the big deal about not having a relationship with God? What's the big deal about not worshipping him properly? Well, there's two reasons that this is a very big deal. The first is that it's actually the very reason that we were created. The very purpose of our existence to glorify God, enjoy him forever, worship him. And so to not do so is to live life a bit like trying to tell the time using a hammer. It's, it's not using our bodies and our souls for the right purpose. And it's a sure thing that if we aren't worshipping God, it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean we're existing in a neutral state, but we'll be actually worshipping something else. Our money, our success, our career, our kids, even if they become the ultimate source of identity and worth for us. It's the reason that we exist And second, the consequence of not worshipping our God is death. Not only is sin the cause of all death, but being out of relationship with God, not having our sins forgiven, means that in dying we bear the cost of our sin. That's the eternal wrath of God, complete and unfiltered, undiluted justice will have to be borne by us. Now, the lame man could not walk. He was lame from his mother's womb. He could not worship. He could not enter into God's presence. And he, like us, he didn't even know what to ask for. You see, every day he is asking for arms, for financial help, for any mercy that he could get. And Peter and John, when they come by, there he is asking the same. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go to the temple, he asks to receive arms. But if he'd known what is on offer today, What do you think he would have asked for? If he'd known today would be the day where his legs are strengthened and he's fully healed, would he have asked them for money? If he'd known that today would be the day where he can leap into the temple, that place he's never been allowed to go, and worship God for himself, what would he have asked for? And so for us too, we're so often setting our sights too low in our prayers, in our spiritual searching in this world. There are many good things to ask for, many good things to pray for, many good things to search for. But let's not neglect to ask him our biggest need, that we need to be spiritually healed, our sins completely forgiven, our relationship with God completely restored, our purpose aligned with his purpose for our life, which is to praise and worship him. That is how the sign points to us this morning. But then how does it point to Jesus? Look with me at verse 6. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up 
and walk. Now, Peter and John are there. And we might say this is a sort of sign and wonder performed by the apostles, by Peter and John. They might have said, look at us. But what they are really saying is, believe in Jesus. The result is full healing. I've recently uh, been seeing a, a physio, right, for, for get back to it from a running injury. And it's like months of diligent work in the gym, at home, exercises done, warm-ups, stretches. And, you know, you've, now you're back to running. You're sort of having to take it really gently. Um, this isn't what happens to this man. This isn't Peter and John's school of physiotherapy. This is the miracle of Jesus Christ healing him. It's a powerful demonstration of who Jesus is because immediately the man gets up and starts leaping. Think about it. A couple of months previously, on Good Friday, Peter had denied even knowing Jesus. And then, having met the resurrected Jesus, he can turn to this lame beggar and say, I can't help you with silver and gold because I've got none of that. I wish I could. But I can help you with your deeper problem because of who I have faith in. And he calls upon the name of Jesus. It's not medicine. It's not physio. It's not Peter and John's power. It's Jesus and his power. Look with me slightly later in the chapter. At chapter 3, verse 16, we'll see it more in more detail next week. But Peter, when explaining this and preaching a sermon about it, he says, and his name, by faith in his name, that's Jesus' name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. His name. Faith in him. It's all about Jesus. His title, Christ, it means Messiah, God's anointed king, the savior. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, a real place, a real man. He's saying, some of you probably even met him. It's by his name you have been healed. A real person from a real place. Uh, You may be here this morning incredibly skeptical about this whole encounter about what we're doing here on a Sunday morning. You might not call yourself a Christian. You're just completely skeptical about the whole thing. Seems too far-fetched. Let me encourage you. Investigate this man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Investigate him for yourself. It's real history. It's recorded in the gospel accounts. There's no better way of finding out who he is than hearing it from himself in his own words. Now, You may be skeptical, you may not be skeptical, but you may be thinking, hang on. If God can do that amazing thing through the apostles, if this man can get up and walk through the power of Jesus, why can't he do it to me? If God can do this wonderful thing with the lame man, why can't he heal me? Why am I suffering? Does he not realize that I struggle to get by day by day, let alone I struggle to worship him, where is my healing? Now, on one hand, we could answer these questions by simply saying it's, it's clearly faith that has made this man well, as verse 16 says. He's now in perfect health through faith in his name. So maybe believe more, trust more radically, have greater faith. I'd love to stand here and, and tell you that's the case. 
I'd love to be able to, to say it. it's as simple as that. But I would also expect you to turn around and ask me, why are you still wearing glasses? Why do you have a, a knee injury? I would, I would expect you to, to say, if you're a pastor, do you not have faith strong enough to make you well? Let alone the, those in your congregation or your family. So I don't think that can be the answer. The answer, I think, is that this miracle is all about Jesus. The, it's a sign that points to Jesus. The sermon that Peter preaches afterwards is all about Jesus. It's to show that the proclamation of Jesus' name has power. It's to show that Jesus really did rise from the dead, and in doing so, validates and verifies everything that he taught. It's to show that he is really and truly the source of all salvation, the one place that we can go to for our sins to be forgiven. When he died on the cross and he took that consequence of our spiritual frailty and corruption upon himself, when he bore the cost of our debt of sin, in doing so, he brings us into relationship with the Father. And in fact, the Holy Spirit, living in God's people now, means that where once we were unable to worship, now we can leap for joy in his presence. It points us to Jesus. This spiritual reality here is that we need a spiritual healing greater than any physical healing. It points us to us with our spiritual frailty. It points us to Jesus, the source of all healing. And it points us to the future. Look at verse 8 again. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. In verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the one at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for arms. We see how this sign points us to the future here. And to understand uh, how that's the case, we have to understand that something that basically everyone in the temple would have understood. The lame man leaping and praising was actually predicted hundreds of years beforehand. When the prophet Isaiah wrote about the day of the Lord's judgment, he wrote, Isaiah 35, uh, starting from verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Basically, people in the temple would have known this passage. And the sign they are therefore seeing would have caused them to recognize, not only is this a wonder, but it's significant. And it really is the key to the entire sign. For the people seeing it firsthand back then, it would have meant that the kingdom of God is at hand. It would have meant they are indeed in a new age, the day of the Lord. It's also why it's significant that the apostles are performing these signs, because it verifies their message, confirms to all around that what we're preaching is actually the legit truth. And so as the word goes out into the world in the book of Acts, it's so often accompanied by uh, the signs and wonders, essentially adding a, a novel layer of verification to the apostles' ministry. But it's often not. And in future generations of the early church, it's, it's often not. And it's basically saying that, that everything the apostles say about Jesus is true. And you can trust their testimony. They are right. They saw him. 
They know the truth, and they are spreading it. And it's also why we don't need every sermon here at St. Peter's Barge to be accompanied by a miraculous sign or wonder, because uh, it's the apostolic faith, the faith that's preached here and legitimized here that we have received and that we pass on. It's legitimized by the apostles. Now you might be thinking, okay, well, but how does this actually point us to the future? It sounds like you're pointing to what has passed and even further past what the prophet Isaiah is saying. The reason is that what was prophesied by Isaiah was fulfilled by this man leaping, but we are to wait for it to be fully realized when uh, the day comes when Jesus returns. So while we say that we are in the day of the Lord, we do wait for Jesus to return and finish what he began. And so uh, we look forward to that day. Now, what do we do while we're waiting? We praise. Look at what the man immediately does as he leaps up. He praised God. That is what we are to do as spiritually lame sinners, forgiven by the cross of Christ. The correct response is worship, that we praise him. It's fulfilling our very purpose that we're made for. And the purpose of this message, the purpose of the sign, the purpose for which we were created is worship and praise. And as it's the sinful nature that prevents us from praising God as we should, or indeed means that we praise over created things, the joy of salvation is that we're able to truly praise God. Our sin is dealt with. We are set free. So let it be an application for all of us today. The work that God has done in you raising you up, standing you on your feet, forgiving your sin, is that you might be praising him. And this is true, even in the midst of suffering. This sign points us to the future, to the return of Christ, and points us to the day when there is no suffering or pain, when the blind see, when the lame walk, when the grieving find comfort, when the depressed have their dark cloud lifted, when the troubled have peace, when the anxious have rest. Do you see how that helps us now? Because right now it can be very difficult to praise. As we said at the beginning, we could be suffering here, having a terrible situation. You could be so awfully downtrodden, the world feeling so terribly heavy, but you aren't without hope a sure and certain hope. And this sign points us to that future hope, the ground of which is in the power of Jesus. And hope changes everything about how we suffer and about how we live in a suffering world. A famous example of this is the, the, the power of hope. It's, it's told by Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning. He was a Holocaust survivor. And he said that, People in the Nazi death camps usually responded to their situation in three days. He said that the first group lost all their principles and became bitter, betrayed even those who were closest to them. The second group just gave up and withered. They wouldn't get out of bed. They lost all hope. Or the third group, he said, became quietly heroic, showed enormous courage and made sacrifices for the sake of others. He says that what distinguishes 
between these groups was their source of hope. If there was hope in earthly things, wealth, family, career, they had nothing to lean on when it was taken away from them. But if they had something to live for beyond this life, then they had uh, something to live for and they could see beyond their current situation and their current sufferings. They could see that there was an end coming to their sufferings, a day when that would be finished. So they didn't become brutal and bitter, and they didn't give up. So let me encourage you today. If you or someone you know is suffering, the hope of the gospel is for you today. There will be a time, there will be a day when it ends. And that will be done for all eternity. How do we know? Well, because of this sign. It's what it's pointing us to. It points us, uh, it points us to showing us that we are spiritually lame beggars. And it points us to Jesus, who on the cross dealt with all our sin, that we can have relationship with him. It points us to the future, when we will be leaping for joy in his presence and when all suffering and pain will be done. Let's take a moment, reflect on this, and we'll continue our service in prayer.